The rule of three states, things that come in threes are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate available on the next generation 2019 GMC Sierra SLT, AT4, and Denali models to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing go professional grade step up to gmc and current eligible gm owners get 20 percent below msrp on next generation 2019 gmc sierra double cab and sle crew cab models with a traditional tailgate we are professional grade gmc must be a current owner lessee of a 2005 model year or newer gm vehicle for at least 30 days prior to the new vehicle sale offer includes price reduction below msrp and purchase allowance not available with special financing lease and some other offers take retail delivery by 9 30 19 see participating dealer for details Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. It's AT&T Pebble Beach week, one of my favorite stops of the year because obviously it's beautiful. Um, three great golf courses sitting here with one of the great teachers in the game of golf and more importantly to me, one of my really good friends and one of the good people that I've had the opportunity to meet in teaching golf. And he's as cold as hell. He's got 16 <laughs> layers, yep. four hoodies on, Brady Riggs. What's up, Brady? Uh, Tony, it was freezing today. We just concluded a nice dinner. We went, did. Went out. Uh, what was the name of that restaurant? It you, was your pick. Old Fisherman's Grotto. Old uh, Fisherman. Fisherman's Wharf in Monterey. It's a beautiful place. Yes, awesome place. Uh, great seafood dinner. Brandon Hagee, uh, your student, joined us. and. Um, so let's talk about it. So most of the time on this damn show, always talking with teachers and everything, but just, you know, we're talking about stuff that's out there with my players. Let's talk a little bit about you and Brandon. Let's mm-hmm. talk about like real teaching. What's really, what, what'd y'all do today? I mean, it looked like you were splitting the atom there for a little while. We were, which we is, were. which is intense for me. It was, it was a little intense for me. Um, you know, he's had, he had a tough time, a tough stretch for a few months, didn't make any cuts. I think right. over the last nine months, he's missed nine cuts by a shot, which is no fun. So when a guy does that, yep. like, it's easy to get down. Indeed. But that's different than missing nine cuts by ten shots, right? So what did it you is. do? What did you say? I mean, each week seems like a different conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. like what what happened that didn't go the way we wanted to. But I think consistently the idea is just we're working on the right thing. We need to keep going. You know, you need to take away the positives from the week that you've done well. And then, you know, as the coach, I got to look big picture and see where the trends are and where we're not doing what we need to do to help him be successful, you know, more often. And, you know, today we're working... On, he's coming off a good week. He, Great week last week, six, Phoenix. Good week last week. Um, you know, in uh, three weeks ago at Amex, I think he was third in birdies for the week. He made 23 birdies and an eagle in four days. 
but he had a few. Sh- pretty good. A lot of lot of good lot of good golf shots there. You know, <laughs> he missed uh, Tory Pines by a shot, and then last week T sixteen in Scottsdale. So. A lot of really good holes. We're just trying to figure out how we can get him to feel more confident when he's hitting some shots that he doesn't like. What's the feel to fix it quicker, you know? And that's kind of where we are right now. We, we're organized with what's going wrong, but we're trying to figure out the best way for him on the course to feel it different. So you and I had a, we had, we had a talk on the way from dinner over to the hotel bar which is where this is occurring which is where most good things happen indeed we talked about a little bit about how teaching tour guys is immediate I guess would be the word to say like Mm -hmm. I don't think that we have the luxury to say you know this is right and if you keep doing it for six weeks, you're probably going to play better. Whereas, you know, if you're teaching at a, you were, if you, you and I still teach tons of average golfers. You talk about a lady who shoots ninety, right? Right. Today. And and I have those students too, and and it's a little different. But like when you're to me, and and tell me if I'm wrong, but when you're we're teaching guys on tour that like. Sometimes the information or the thing we may say, and there's going to be people out there with big websites and different shit that get pissed at me saying this, but like sometimes we may say something that's not 100% scientifically correct, but it's going to help them feel something that's going to make them play better for that week. And in the end, that's what you, that's what's more important to them. Totally. We, we were talking about after dinner that... You, you have to be very practical when you're working with somebody who's playing for a living. Go. If you're out there guessing or, hey, let's try this this week, you know, you're not going to have a client very long, and you're going to potentially screw somebody up that Easy. this is their livelihood, yeah. you know? So you have to, even though you both might totally agree on what is the problem, you might have to say, you know what, you need to do it this way, which may not be correct, like you were saying, but it would work. Right. You know, because you're trying to change a feel. And like, you know, Brandon and I, we, we, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. He's like, if I don't get it in the first five to ten shots, it's not going to happen. You know, it's not, I'm not going to keep trying to do that. And I think that's that's what you're up against when you're working with a really good player. They, they don't have time to mess around. And I've always said the PGA Tour is the greatest proving ground there is, right? The ultimate BS detector is a tour player. Right. If you have BS and you come out here and and you spread that around, you are instantly gone. You know, you 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 cannot do that. And and it's it's the difference between giving a giving a talk about teaching, you know, teaching in a laboratory, teaching with a computer, teaching with a track man. Versus actually teaching a human being who's trying to play for a living. I saw a social media post four or five days ago where a guy said something about how bad the information on the PGA Tour. He worked with a bunch of PGA Tour players, and the only reason that tour players were successful in spite of this information was because they were just good. And this is a podcast, so I can say this, but I think that's a crock of shit. I think that if you're successful out here teaching PGA Tour players, for the most part, you have a good command of how to get somebody to play better golf. And, I, and, and I'm and i a big believer in that. I think it's, you know, if, if you're out here and you get fired all the time, you're probably not very good. 
if you retain people and your guys get better and you pick up other people because of them, mm-hmm. you're probably pretty good. Yeah. And I think we both admire Butch, you know, and the fact that he gets, he gets great results. He has one of my former players right now, uh, Danielle yep. Kang, right. who, you know, Danielle and I, we were together for four or five years, had a great time. She was number one in the world, won two U.S. Amateurs. She's upgraded herself by working with Butch over me because Butch has given her the next piece for her, which is helping her feel confident about just how great she is. And you're seeing it in the results right now. I mean, I have nothing but admiration for somebody that helps people play better golf. I don't care what the information is. It's the fact that his players are playing better. That's what matters the most. So Butch is probably the the best we've ever seen at getting that. at getting people to believe in themselves. And whether that's a small technical change or a self-talk or whatever it is that he's helping that player with, Butch knows how to push the buttons to so, get people better. So like I, this is interesting because I haven't talked to you about this. As as good of friends as almost knocked a drink over there. As good of friends <laughs> as you and I are, I think it speaks volumes about you that there's lots of people. I've been around. We've both been around tons of teachers that are jealous of the teacher that a player goes with mm-hmm. and then has some success after they right. had success. I think it's cool that you're that you say that personally, right? Um, like I still pull for my players when they have left and gone yeah. on to other people, right? Um, but what? So that brings up a question about Butch. Like, I mean, why do you think he has that success? He certainly has a knack for success. I mean, he's, I think, and I've said this to you. Like, I've gone and watched him teach. Uh, golf school to club level golfers, right? Right. And he has an aura, and he has a way about him on the tee um, that he's earned, and that he—it's unbelievable. Like, why do you think he has that? What is it that makes people perform better? And like, I'm always trying to, as a coach, I'm trying to figure out how the hell can I, how the hell can I do that myself? Right. Right. It's interesting, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he has credibility. You know, mm-hmm. he has credibility. He has a track record of working with multiple number one players in the world that he has gotten there. Right. And they're all different. You know, they're Which all different. Which don't you think is important? Heck yeah, I think that's like Butch is the. I mean, to me, uh, my generation, Butch is by far the best teacher. He's had the best results. And as a teacher myself, I would I would hate it if all my players looked exactly the same. And a teacher, anybody could say, oh, it must be, you must work with Brady because you're working on this drill. That would drive me crazy. I mean, if everybody that goes, and, and here's my thing, like, so the internet's a fantastic place. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, if, if everybody you teach, you hit push draws, mm-hmm. everything's wrist angles, I mean, are you really coaching and teaching them? Or are you just teaching everybody to teach what you think works? I mean, I think a big part of it's finding, taking their puzzle and figuring out the pieces that it takes to help them win or be a golf tournament, be a major champion or a champion or keep their card or wherever they are. And and I guess that's where, where I am. Is like, And that's where, to me, it's less about, I think, the information either one of us ever gives out empirically wrong 
But like, it's more about making the person perform than it is about us, about one of us sounding smart. Yeah, we were just talking about being practical, right? So Butch, Butch teaches a different client than than most people teach. These are the not only I'd like tour players. Yeah, they're pretty good, <laughs> right? But they're not only tour players, but they're the best of the tour players, mm-hmm. right? So he's not developing any of these players. They already came to him. Really, really phenomenal players. These are the elite of the elite in mm-hmm. professional golf. So he's taking players that were already great players and, and helping them get better. Think how dangerous that is, right? Like rule number one for Butch. We all know what it is, right? Don't screw him up. 100%. So Butch is able to find the, the little area that he has to help them out with that helps them play better. That's amazing. It's a different world than developing a player from 12 years old and working them all the way to the PGA Tour. That's, that's a different skill set altogether. I don't know which one is harder. I think that I think Butch's job is more dangerous, you know, because you have a guy who or a girl who's phenomenal, and you you could screw them up and ruin their career. Versus the kid who you have a lot more time with to develop, and you know maybe go down some wrong tracks right. or whatever. But I mean, I, I get Butch. Butch basically, as a coach, he sort of has a gun to his head at all times, every right? time, and and to to continually get results. Obviously, there's players that haven't had you know, the success of other players that Butch has worked with, but he sure has helped. An incredible number of players become really, really good. And it, it goes back to the thing about being practical. What works is what Butch is interested in. He doesn't care what's scientifically perfect. He doesn't care what a trend is. He, he has no interest in that. Butch is going to his own beat, and he finds the thing with the player that helps him play the best. It's, it's phenomenal to watch. It really is. And I think it's pretty interesting at his age, you know, 72 or so. Um, he'd get mad if I'm wrong on that, I'm sure. But, mm-hmm. but so I see his 70s. Um, still trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Still being relevant. Right? And I think it's cool. But let's let's flip to you talked about developing talent. Yeah. Because that's different. I personally think that some of the most things that I've been most proud of in my career are the young people I've had an impact on, whether they've always stayed with me or not, or I've stayed with them through the whole thing. Um, Watch them go from high school to college, college to professional golf or professional golf to PGA Tour. Because for my money, I think that's... I mean, I, you know, I'm probably biased, but I think that's making a huge difference in a person's life. I agree. I think that those are the ones that you hang your hat on, right? Like, right. if you had a tour player come to you and they're all already one on tour, right? Very mm-hmm. successful players, maybe one a major, mm-hmm. right? And they were struggling, and you helped them out. That's awesome. That's incredibly rewarding because a person that was great that loses it a little bit to bring them back. And I know you've been you've done this several times with people, Tony. That's not an easy thing to do, right? Because the confidence has been stripped down a little bit. That's really really tough. But when you also try and take a kid who hasn't been anything. And you have to go through that, all the growth, you know, the growth physically, mentally, emotionally, through the ups and downs of this very long journey that tournament golf can can be. And you're still there, still standing after all that time. That's a relationship with somebody. That's built on trust. 
you know, it's it is, and you're invested. You're all in, and you you kind of live and die with a lot of the shots and the rounds that they're playing. And well, it's not an easy way to be. Well, you so at dinner, we were with Brandon Hagee. You guys been together 16 years. Yeah, long time. We talked about the fact that he got married a month ago, mm-hmm. and you were at the wedding. Yeah. Those are the cool things to me about developing people. I mean, those those don't go in Golf Magazine or Golf Digest, and they don't go in our stat sheet. But those are the cool things, right? You know, yep. you're you're involved in that. Um, and I think that's the stuff that's that's cool about what you get to do. And so, you know, like the cool thing for me for developing juniors is like, so when you're teaching a tour player and he's been successful and whatever, like for me with them, I'm going back and trying to figure out what they do when they're successful. Right, right. But with a junior, you have the opportunity to like, if a kid comes in, he's 13 or 14, you can put in more of your preferences, sure. right? Because he's got a shitload of time to see right. if it's going to work. Right. So, like, to me, that's where you get to see if some of the stuff you believe and you think is really good. Right. Whereas I look at some folks and they're like, well, I've never really developed a junior. That's like, well, then how do you know if the shit you're doing is actually really good? Right. Am I wrong on that? No. I mean, you... I mean, we were talking. I was telling you we were in the we were in the restroom, right? Washed our hands, and I said the most stress I have as a coach is working with my daughter because talk about it, you don't want to screw somebody up, right? With your daughter, right? Right. So, like, when you're working with somebody that you really care about, you really are careful about what you say, and I try and treat all the players that I work with the same way. Like, I tr- I treat them like I really care about them because I don't want to screw them up, and maybe sometimes you let some minor stuff go that you would have fixed if you didn't if you didn't care about them as players as much because you don't you know you're like well I'm just going to fix that I don't care if they play crappy right now but when you really care you're always more careful than anything else right mm-hmm. you're always on the side of caution when you're making adjustments rather than just right. constantly 100%. making changes so but like you said like I I have certain philosophies like you do and preferences and and my daughter pretty much shows all those preferences and that's we get to find good. out that's why she's good it's good we get to find out and fortunately for me She's really athletic. So even if my stuff isn't maybe as good as I think it is, she's making up for a lot of that with her athleticism. But I think, I, and I know you're the same way, Tony, because we not only learn from each other, but I learn so much from oh. the players that I work with. I look back on when Brandon and I started 15 years ago, and I'm like, wow, it's a miracle he got this far with me. Sued for malpractice. 100%. <laughs> 15, 15 years ago, Brady wasn't nearly as good as he is now. And, and and I'm you know maybe I'm not that good now. I'm but. as good once as I ever was. <laughs> but. but it's amazing how we evolve over time, mm-hmm. you know. But being practical to me is like the that's the name of the game. The better the player, the less you say. The more careful you are about what you say, and you really are trying to change that ball flight so that they gain more confidence. That's really what it comes down to. And you're not you're not about some theory at that point. You know I'm not going to roll out and some new fangled thing on the range with some guy who's playing for a living and see if it works with him. It's not going to happen. So I'm a big note taker, not in life. Like I'm totally, this, this isn't going to shock you. 
I'm a scrambled, disorganized mess in my day-to-day life, I, right? I refuse to believe that, Tony. <laughs> right? You could ask all four of my ex, all three of my ex-wives, fourth, counting my current one. I, you know, I am. But when it comes to teaching my players, I like to take notes on mm-hmm. things that work. And so... You know, when a player is maybe not doing, you know, it isn't necessarily playing bad. Sometimes when we're dealing with them, by a lot of people's standards, they'd be playing okay, but it's not as good as they want to. I like to just go back through the shit that worked. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, I said to Lucas yesterday, you know, we, you played pretty good when we felt like the face was more square off the ball. You were centered, and you just turned to the right heel and you just let it hook because he wants to hook. Or, you know, I've said to Smiley in this journey, like, hey, you know, these are the things that you're working on or whatever it is. And and, uh, I think being worrying less about, like, what you're teaching them as far as, like, mechanics, but more, like, in their terms... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's always important to talk to them in their terms. Now I'm rambling a little bit here, but, like, talking to them in, like, the way they think about it is important. Whereas instead of trying to, like, I've gone to some of these seminars and I've sat and listened to some of this stuff and everybody talks in different terms. I think it's important to talk to people in the terms and the way they understand things. Yeah, I think what you said earlier was you are working with Bill Haas and you were saying, you know, you're trying to figure out things that he was doing when he was, you know, winning the FedEx Cup and trying to figure out how do I make him a little more like that, you know, so that I can get him back to where he needs to be. With Brandon, today we're on the range when you were there. Yeah, it was awesome and, watching that. I just And I tried to stay back as a fly on the wall. And you were great. I, but but we, we actually were looking at video from the 2010 year when he was a runner-up and he was a semifinalist in the USAM because he hit it really good that week at Cherry Hills. But we have video from him over the, you know, over the last 15, 15 years of video, but at least 11 years on my phone <laughs> of video. So, and we have our favorites, and we know, well, you hit it bad this week, and this is what it looked like, and you hit it really good this week. and That's a coach of this, that cares. Yeah, so we, we and it's funny because when I got up here today, I drove up and he said, okay, what did you decide we were going to be working on today to help me feel this better? Because he knew I was thinking about it because he was thinking about it. And I said, well, here's all the pictures I took off my phone last night of where I think things are a little better you know, now than they were a few months ago, but I think we can still improve and get to this next place because that's where we were before, you know, but we are both thinking about it all the time and trying to actually use the past as, as sort of a roadmap back to where his best golf is. And we know you can't go back completely, but if you know something worked in the past, why wouldn't you try and at least go there first and work off of that versus ask, something new? Let me ask you this, because I've asked other people... I've watched teachers. I've watched people out there. I like to hang out on the driving range and hang out in bars around golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy that's been really good at some point in his career and they struggle, why the hell would you ever try to take that why would you try to make them something different than that just because they're struggling? Like, 
I don't get that. And, and I mean, I think that's one thing, because I, I, if you hang around the tour as much as you have, mm-hmm. or I have, you've seen guys that were really good, they get super far away from what they did. Yeah. And, and I'm asking this as much as a golf fan and a person that loves golf as I am a teacher, but like, I watch guys get so far away from who they were. I mean, why? Why do teachers and people do that? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. I think the number of times it works, like maybe a Matt Kuchar comes to mind, right? Right. That's like if you look at him when he was an amateur at Augusta, right. and you look at him now, it's totally different. Like, there aren't that many examples. No, there aren't. And I think it's that. It's that first interaction you have with somebody who's already really good. Right. So I'm teaching this girl. She's in the Pac-12 conference right now. Um, she just came out to me a few months ago. I've known her for a long time. Okay. And she came out, and she needs to hit it further. This is according to her coach, College Golf. She needs to hit it further. Does so, she really? No. But, her, <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, she wants to, and her coach is using that as a, you know, something she needs to do. So, okay, so be it. Who doesn't want to hit it yeah, further? Yeah, who wants to hit it further? But we're looking at it, and I told her, I go, look, I'm not going to, I promise you, I won't do anything to mess you up right now. Because, and this is that conversation piece, is the most important thing you possess as as a really good player is your talent. And you have to guard it with your life. Because somebody can come in and start telling you stuff and move you right off of who makes oh, you special. Shit. And so whatever teacher you're... And I told her, I go, if it's not me and it's some other teacher, make sure you guard that talent with your life because it's the most important thing you have as a player is your talent. It's all you have. 100%. So why players move away from things that in the past were good? Why teachers move them off of things? I have no idea because I think if they were really, really good doing something a certain way, whatever the next stage of really, really good is, is going to be pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. Right? So I don't want to pull them away from something and completely change their feel. That's how people actually leave the game that were great players, right? They start changing so much they don't know who they are anymore. Right. And it's dangerous. I think you got to be true to who you are. You know? Yeah. And uh, I think you bring up a great point. I just... I, it was just a curious question. I sit there and I watch... Um, yeah, I just watch players. And then I guess it's part of the chase. And I think there's this elusive idea out there that somebody has some information mm-hmm. that if you can do it, is going to make you instantly keep your card, get a card, become a major champion, become a whatever it is, the next, whatever the next level is, become all conference, whatever it is. And I always go, I, you know, uh, we've, I've talked about him a few times tonight just because I spent some time with him yesterday. But, like, when they interviewed Lucas at the Tour Championship and they talked about how he got there and he just said, well, basically I worked my ass off. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, isn't that really what the secret is? Sure. That's I mean, it's it a little down. bit of information and being on the right track having somebody believes in you, and then working your ass off. (laughs) Yeah, and it's that blend between everybody that is great has gotten to that point because they they were striving to be better, right? Right. So they were searching out new information or new ways to do it or working harder to get to that point. Okay, well, that's great, but then you got to guard your talent with your life. 
So you're walking a bit of a tightrope, you know? So like we were just talking about with Brandon, if he doesn't feel it in the first five or ten shots that it's any better, he's going to stop. That's mm-hmm. gar- He's guarding his talent there. Which he should. Which he should, and he has right? every right to do that, right? So as a, as a coach, I want to be careful with the things that I ask him to do. You know, I'd rather him put his pinky toe in the water for a second and 100%. see how it feels, right? Rather than diving in, because by the time he does that a couple times, he doesn't know who he is anymore. And don't you think, like, great, really good players, great players, like when you work with them on the range and you ask them to do something, they stick their pinky toe in. Right. They do it a little bit to see how it feels. And if it's way the hell off, shit, I can't do that. Right. Right. And they'll tell you pretty quickly that's not going to happen mm-hmm. for me. you got to find another way to say it. Right. Right. And now you're on or the Or you hook. may be wrong. And you may be wrong. That's true. And I think that's the interesting thing is, like, sometimes we sit in these seminars and we watch. We do? <laughs> well, some of us play golf. Yeah, we do. Right. But... <laughs> You read stuff, and you and, and I'm 100% all of it's accurate, right? It's scientific. Can't be wrong. But, like, sometimes in the real world it doesn't work, right? And so, I, I keep going back to sometimes you ask people to do stuff that isn't exactly what all the monitors and shit would say. Sure. Right? You know? Like... I'm going to use an example again. This is on the club fitting side. Like, I mean, Lucas wants to hit a draw on a hook, right? He wants a driver that's really flat. Like, that doesn't add up to what a lot of us say, right? Sure. But, like, sometimes the answers don't. Golf's a op- game of opposites, I always mm-hmm. say. Like, sometimes stuff doesn't always add up. And I think that as a coach and a teacher, you got to be willing to think outside the box. <laughs> of what a lot of the info tells us if you want to be successful because I really do think it all comes down to what they feel and you also got to be man enough or woman enough or whatever to say sometimes like I mean I'd like this and it may be right but I'm going to go down this road with them because it's making them hit it better right well let me ask you this Tony oh boy here you go here's one for you so out of what percentage of the information that you consistently learn, right? Because you're always asking questions and you're researching and you're... What percentage of that information that you're learning on a regular basis are you conveying to any tour pro that you're working with? How much is it filtered down by the time it gets to the point where you're on the range working with somebody who's playing for a living? Less than 3%. Yeah, so it's really small, right? So you're learning all this stuff and you're gaining all this information, but you're really careful about what little piece you're going to feed to the player you're working with, and it has to be completely relevant for what they're working on. Right, And that's the difference between, like I said, teaching in a lab, giving a speech, you know, making a presentation, and actually working with somebody. This is oversimplistic. But I I learned to teach from some old school people, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when I'm under the gun and it's nut cutting time, I look at their club face. I look at the plane, and I look at their pivot, and I just stick with that shit. Right. Right? And, you know, I don't know that, like, I really venture. Sometimes I get caught. I catch myself, Brady, 
sometimes going further down some other roads and then I go like well that's just not me I know these things for me and they may not work for you exactly that way and they may not work for our buddy Chris Como that way right? right but like for me they work and all I give a shit about is for me how they work with my guys right so you know I've said many times like I think you gotta be who you are and do the things you're doing and so like you're right like I love learning I love sitting and watching that stuff but then I gotta cipher it down a bunch of it and, and I'm gonna use some and I'm not gonna use some but like I think in the end we're paid for how those guys and I think you gotta stick when it comes to those guys to the stuff you know that will work for you you can't teach something you don't know mm-hmm. right you can't. You no. can't do it. So you've, you've got to be in the wheelhouse of the things that you understand and know. Right. And more often than not, that's getting added to all the time. If your eyes are open, mm-hmm. right, and you're curious. What's you're, the last biggest thing that really influenced your teaching? Like something that happened that changed what you mm. presented or taught. That's a vodka question wow. right there. That's 100% the fifth Tito's and soda. <laughs> Are we on five? We're in the ballpark. Six, seven. So, hmm, it's a really good question. I'll I'll look at it two ways. Okay. One was, I'd say, probably about ten years ago where I changed my pitching technique completely. Wow. You know, I grew up like everybody else with my feet way left and my... Mm-hmm. Right shoulder much lower because my hands were forward and everything was, you know, mm-hmm. a lot aloft. And, you know, I was progressively moving away from that. But then I just completely changed the way that I do pitching. Okay. Um, I, I think Siegman's great. I love, I love his ideas about how the club works through the ground. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of guys out there that are talking about that now in a really positive way. I don't. I don't teach the the way Siegman teaches, and I'm not. I love him. I think he works with Brandon. I think he does a great job with Brandon. I love what he's doing with him. But with my own stuff, is a little arms are a little straighter and a little less right arm bend and stuff, whatever. But I changed my technique because I I thought I realized I was wrong. I was making it harder for sure. That's awesome. So I personally pitch better now, way better than I used to, and I think I'm much better at teaching it now. While I could get other people to do it, I, they would still hit bad shots, a lot of bad shots, because the way the club was intersecting with the mm-hmm. ground. So I've gotten way better at that. And then the other thing I would say is just, and we we're talking about Mark Brody before, who I really right. like, and um, you know, just understanding what is really happening with guys from all the yardages. Where's the ball actually ending up relative to the hole? from the distances, from the fairway, from the rough. What is going on on the greens in terms of making putts, missing putts? So now that I understand all that on a much deeper level than I did, you know, 10 years ago, my students have better expectations about what their shot should be. And it keeps them from being frustrated by a shot that they shouldn't have been frustrated by, but it also helps them strategically play better golf. So th- those two things, I think, are over the last 10 years were, were huge for me. Changed the way I was doing stuff. So what comes to my mind, one, other than the care you have for your students, and two, that you become a better pitcher of the golf ball, is that in 10 years or so, your real approach to the full swing 
hasn't changed a bunch with all the science and all the stuff. It's true. And 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 I, and I mean this sincerely when I tell you that like one of the reasons I bounce things off you is you're the smartest on the science side, kinesiology, all the stuff. It ain't bad now. And and I, you also have the knack of being able to explain shit that's real hard for me to understand in a way I can understand. But I find that interesting that, like, with all of the... And nobody uses, like, a swing catalyst, stuff like that more than I do. I mean, I, you buy all that stuff. Don't even understand it, but I buy it. <laughs> right? But, like, it's interesting with all the progression in that. That when I asked you what your biggest impacts, changes, da-da-da, it was pitching and stats and not what you taught. I, to me, that's because I would say the same thing. Like, I've bought a bunch of technology. Those three things I just told you about five minutes ago are the same things. It just bore it out. Yeah, I think I'm better at explaining the full swing mm-hmm. stuff now, but, like, I have videos I, I did, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'll watch them online, and every once in a while you'll see something you're like, I was pretty bad, mm-hmm. you know? Every now and then, you yeah. know, you'll, you'll see, but a lot of the stuff I see, I'm like, oh, I like that. That's still relevant for mm-hmm. me today, you know, even though I had hair back when I filmed it. And I'd love to see that. It's pretty, I mean, it's gorgeous. And then my goatee was actually red. Which is not. Reddish white now, like it is. I'm saying reddish white. I'm giving myself a break, but I mean, the basic idea is that I understood ground reaction force pretty well back then mm-hmm. I understand it much better now thanks to guys like Chris Coma you know who've done great work right. awesome I, I love Chris so but I understand it better but I I knew it then I just didn't know it to the level of detail that I know it now mm-hmm. but it hasn't changed I'm just I just have a better grasp of it after another you know five six seven eight years of information I see the timing of things a little bit better but I've always like known the big picture stuff right but now I understand things to the level of detail that we can see it now with, you know, ways to prove it. But you mentioned, you know, flight scope, track man, whatever you want to yeah. I bought my first flight scope, you know, what was it, 12 years ago. You know where that machine is right now? The garage. It's actually in the trunk of my car. And I'm hoping somebody takes it. Because then I could maybe, like, claim some insurance loss on it. (laughs) And it's not that I don't find it, that there was merit to it. I teach ball flight every single lesson. I teach ball flight law every single lesson I teach. I teach kids how to read their own ball flight. I just don't think you need a $12,000 flight scope or a $25,000 track band to talk about why the ball did what it did in the air. I just don't think you do. I mean, you use trackman all the time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're at a tour event, how many times are you sitting on the range with a player and saying, you know, that was four degrees right instead of 3.5? Yeah, I don't bring mine to a tour Well, event. that's what I'm yeah. saying. So, like, we, we're right. out there all the time. I agree. Trackman on a tour range, and I'm, I'm obviously speaking just from my own experience, but in what I see that are with the people that are working around us, they're almost always talking about yardage. Correct. I'd agree with that a thousand percent. We're not talking AOA or, you know dynamic loft or the people that talk about that are generally the equipment guys yes. trying to put them in something that they want them to put them in 100 percent. but the, usually the players that are working with it and i'm obviously i'm not saying everyone but from what i see it's a glorified distance machine yeah and Agree it's a thousand percent and i don't know i can use my laser and hit the flag and then well that looked a little short of that you know and i, I just feel like it's people 
I feel bad for all the young teachers that feel like they have to go buy that to be competitive, you know, where they could really help. Which has become sad, but it's, it's true. It's true. But how many, how many players do you teach have their own track man other than a professional? None. None. I don't have one player that I teach that has their own track man. So what good is it going to do? I don't have... I have one professional that has his... Right. Brandon's got his, and he uses it most of the time for yardages. Right. Right? So, like, if you don't have one... I don't have one... And Robbie I teach uses a, the same way. uses it for yardages. Right. And I teach some pretty wealthy people. That one of them has a simulator in his house, you know, <laughs> but they're not out there practicing with it on the range, and, and they don't really... They need to know why the ball started where it started and if it curved, why it curved. That's what they need to know face and path-wise. I could care less if it was 2 degrees, 3 degrees, 3.5 degrees. I don't care. And they shouldn't either. They should see a ball that's starting right and curving further right and know that the face was right and the path was left of it. End of story. Yeah. Right? And if you if they can if they understand that then they know I got to get either the face more left and or the path more right and then it will not curve like that. And then how do I do that? Agreed. They didn't need to know the severity or the degrees of the, we don't need to get there. We just need to understand the ball flight. I think sometimes it's okay for people to say um, whatever, seven degrees in and out. And you say, hey, we want to get it half as much, right? To measure it, to show them how much. But I think they get too caught up, 100%. And they can't tell that when they're not with you. But they can tell with the ball starting in the general direction they wanted and curving the direction they wanted it to. Well, you know me. I put a damn rope and a stick out there. I know, but but isn't that like, that to me, what translates better? Honestly. Rope and the stick. Yeah. Rope and the stick. It does. Like so, if a player's on the golf course and they've used the rope and the stick when they've been practicing, they can see the rope and the stick when they're on the golf course without it much clearer they can, th- than they can see the orange box, box right, right? That's not even in. So you want to use things that would actually help them when they're playing, right? You know, it always comes back to that thing we, we keep talking about all the time. Like at some point. At some time, you might want to go to somebody. Who's actually made somebody here. Yeah, at some point in their life. And if you haven't done that, then everything, I'm, I'm not interested in theory. Theory is great, and theory is for guys that are in the lab and they're working on it. I think they're the, those are guys that are pushing the envelope, and I respect them. That's great. We need people that are continuing to make scientific discoveries about what matters in the golf swing. But I'm not interested in that on a range with a, with a guy who's trying to play for a living or with my daughter who's in college golf. I need practical. So if, if, if you find something in the lab that is really, really important, let me know. You know, and I can maybe learn how to use that in my teaching, but I don't want to have anything to do with that when it comes to somebody who I care about who's trying to hit the ball at the target. Because theory is great, but it doesn't really have a place when you're talking about somebody who's doing it for a living. Brady, that was awesome. Great stuff. One, thanks for letting me hang out watch you and Brandon. Of course, anytime. Two, thanks for letting me share dinner with y'all. And three, thanks for doing this. We're going to do more of it. Hey, thanks for buying me dinner, Tony. Always. I owe you. so much for listening to this episode of the tour coach with tony ruggiero if you enjoyed this make sure to hit subscribe apple podcast spotify wherever you are listening to this podcast you can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level make sure to subscribe and stay tuned if you want to learn more about tony 
head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. If there's one thing if you know about me, if you listen, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to see me, listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, uh, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to thank, give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors. Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper. Sweeper.